Hello. Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For this episode, we are joined by Hannah Marks, who is a talented and hilarious writer, actress, as well as producer. I hope that you enjoy our interview. Well, thank you for coming on Why Not Both. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> and being uh, having me virtually, I should say. Exactly, exactly. Everything's virtual now, even within our own city. I feel bad because usually in LA, I'm always like, oh, I'll like bring my gear over to your house and we can actually meet. And now I'm like, Shh. yeah, we all got a social distance, but that's all right. This is nice. It'll keeping us busy. Exactly. Exactly. I was actually, I was talking to another artist about that, about like the expectation on people in the arts community to produce stuff during this time, which is uniquely odd. Yeah, it is a weird thing that people are discussing. I'm weirdly feeling less creative in this time just because it feels like an opportunity to take a little break. Yeah. It also, it's strange to me that everyone else would get to be like, oh, I'm anxious and don't want to do anything, but can you entertain me? Right. Well, there's already so much entertainment and content out there right now that it's, you know, it would take years to catch up on everything anyway. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to yeah. sneeze. Sorry. I know it's a podcast. Hold on. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. That sounded like Sorry to your listeners. As a seasonal allergy sufferer, I feel you on this. And I'm like, I too will probably sneeze. I've been struggling. Spring is just a terrible time for my allergies. And I'm all Claritin deed up and everything, but I've got dogs and the hair is everywhere. So what? Oh, no. I, I joke that right now I'm basically half woman, half Zyrtec. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so what we're saying is it's going to be a very groggy podcast. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, for me, it's the opposite because I'm Claritin D, which is like an upper, I think. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm on the one that's a little ethereal and otherworldly, but at least I can breathe. That's perfect. We'll balance each other out. <laughs> so I feel pretty special that I got to watch the movie that you wrote. Oh, great. <laughs> Yay. Do you know when other people get to watch the movie? Uh, this Friday, very soon. <gasps> you should tell them about it. Well, the movie is called Banana Split. It's a teen comedy. It's R-rated, but uh, I still think pretty wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to come out in theaters, but, you know, coronavirus shut the world down. So we will be on demand and digital. But yeah, if you like teen comedies, I, I hope you'll like it. It's a, a little unusual. It's about a platonic female friendship and I, I hope really empowering and enjoyable to people. I really liked that that was a focus because I, you know, in my experience of media, I always liked the parts of media that focused mainly on friendship, but they were few and far between. Yeah, it's such a special thing that everyone experiences and is part of everyone's life. So it is weird that there's not more movies about it, but I, I, I get it because 
a movie has to have stakes and conflict and <laughs> <that's>, uh, <laughs> hopefully not in everyone's friendship. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That we don't have a lot of narratives about like close female friendships, also how to navigate conflict in them or navigate them potentially ending. Like some of my friends, like I've counseled through like friend breakups and things like that, but there's no, there's not like a social space for it the same way as like a romantic breakup. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's interesting. I haven't thought about it like that. Um, I think in the movie, we sometimes fail at it and sometimes succeed. So there's a lot of ups and downs. Yes. I really like that. And also being an LA native, I was very glad to recognize some of the spots. Well, I'm an LA native as well. And ironically, we had to shoot the movie in upstate New York. So we shot most of it in Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it shot in, uh, I apologize for my sniffles. That's so oh my God, do but, not fret. Uh, but yeah, we shot in Syracuse, New York in the winter for a movie that takes place in LA in the summer. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get your work made. Uh, we did shoot for an, a week in LA uh, in January uh, of that year to 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 get some of those exterior shots. That's yeah. I was gonna say to get some of the establishing shots. Like I don't want to ruin any of it, but I'm like there was one shot in Griffith that's my favorite spot to hike to. And since we can't oh, hike yeah. right now, I was like, oh, I miss you. <laughs> nostalgia, yeah. I was like nostalgia for last week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, we tried to pack that week with as many LA spots as we could. You know, we're at the beach and doing that really beautiful hike and mm-hmm. just being out and about as much as possible to make up for the fact that most of the movie was an interior Syracuse. That's so funny. <laughs> Crazy. And how did you balance? Ooh, excuse me. You. Wow, I'm it's disgusted. Okay. That's so funny. No, this is making me feel right at home. This is better. Okay, good. <laughs> Every time I sneeze this week, I'm like, no worry, it's not the plague. <laughs> I just realized that I don't think I've ever heard someone sneeze on a podcast. So maybe this will just be so relatable. This is going to be our groundbreaking sneezing episode. Great. <laughs> Can't wait. Feminism, friendship, sneezing. Sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that's really funny to me because I'm also an antihistamine. I'm like, that's probably like at least 10% less funny than I'm laughing at myself right now. That's okay. You're, you're bringing joy. Exactly. Um, I was curious because you, you wrote the movie, you started in the movie. How was that in dividing those kind of different roles within the same project? Yeah, honestly, uh, while shooting the producing and acting part was probably harder, just, you know, keeping an eye over everything. Yeah. It was all, I mean, it was all a really big challenge, but, but also my dreams were coming true at the same time. So uh, I, I really can't complain. It was really <laughs> experience. Uh, It was just hard to, to get any sleep. And right. I had hired my best friend to be my assistant and you know, we ended up just kind of hanging out instead of uh, <laughs> instead of getting any assisting. <laughs> I understand this. That's it's interesting that also you hired your best friend given the subject matter of the movie. Yeah, it really fits. It really fits. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad she was there with me. It made it so fun and comfortable, and gave me a piece of home. 
Um, but I definitely got FOMO and jealous when the whole cast would hang out after we would wrap at night and I'd have to like go back to my room and work on the next day's material. I would get really jealous, but that is what I signed up for. And it was, uh, you know, thank goodness I got to do all of that. I was going to say, like, I could definitely see, cause I was wondering about like how much additional responsibility it would be. And I could only imagine that I was just like, okay, that's very different than when you just take on a role in someone else's project. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, Thankfully, I wasn't directing uh, a friend of mine named Ben Kasolke was directing and he's so wonderful and kind and thoughtful and compassionate and uh, it would have been really hard to do without him. He gave me so much support. Oh, that's really wonderful. Yeah, he's the best. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure you'd love him. <laughs> and that's really cool to be able to work with a team of people on... I'm trying to imagine what it's like having a team of people kind of bring your creation to light while you're in your creation. Cause you really have to trust everyone you're working with. Yeah. Uh, that's why it was so many friends. Uh, and when you make a small movie, you have the luxury of getting to work with your friends. Cause there's not as many people watching over you to nitpick, you know, every hire. Right. So it was really exciting getting to make it with friends because it just made the whole thing so much more fun and enjoyable and comfortable and, you know, why, why do it if you're not going to feel those things? I'm at the point where I just, I just want to enjoy my life and be present and actually enjoy the act of making the work and not just, you know, waiting for some kind of result. Exactly. Cause it does take kind of, I was thinking about that, that it takes a certain amount of initiative to be like, well, I'm going to write a movie now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you have to just keep writing because you can't guarantee which thing is going to get made. And, you know, my parents always tell me writers write, so keep writing. <laughs> are there, are there any projects that did not get made? Uh, yes. I mean, I've written many things, uh, but I don't want to say they won't get made if that makes sense. Like I Got think it. hopefully they're in the pipeline. Got it. So there are things that do not yet, well, they exist on page, but they do not yet exist. On screen. On yeah. screen. That's yeah. That's, and you know, that's a really good way of framing that because I've talked to other artists about either projects that haven't come out yet or ways in which like kind of even that we frame, I guess the word failure of like, oh, that hasn't happened. But in a way it's like, oh, well, it hasn't happened yet. Right. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I feel so fortunate. Like, uh, my scripts have gotten made, my pictures have been sold. Like, I really lucked out, and I gotta believe it's some kind of karma for all the like failed auditions that I've had because I've been <laughs> acting since I was like five. So, I gotta assume maybe it's some, some karma, some good karma. There you go. And also, it sounds like I think in some ways people perceive any sort of success that it's like that success kind of in a way like came out of nowhere. But knowing that, like, you have been going on auditions since you were five. Yeah, it really, it feels like forever. It, it's weird when you start acting so young and you get really bitter and jaded when you're, like, 18 years old. <laughs> it's terrible and wrong. And I've really had to, like, turn my, my attitude around. I was going to say the transition from being a child actor to being an adult actor is very abrupt. Like, I guess growing up in LA, I've known people also that went through that transition. And like you said, being bitter and jaded when you're 18 is a rough way to go. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't so much the transition between child actor to adult actor because I was never on kids shows or like Nickelodeon. Mm. So I didn't have that kind of transition, but it was just this this feeling of like uh, pressure to be Wonderkin or like oh. you know, uh, have success by a certain age or feeling like you have an expiration date already when you're like just getting started, you know, right. or just right. feeling like, uh, you know, every casting director already knows you because they've been seeing you for a decade, even though you're young. And so you don't get to feel like the fresh new thing. And that really just messes with your head. I can imagine, especially because when you're 18, you, you still are <laughs> so fresh and young. <laughs> like, that it, it's such a That's skew. That's why it's messed up. That's why yes. you got to have to shift your mindset because you'll just become miserable. Uh, I I was realizing I was on that path and I really just had to get out of it. What helped you kind of like turn that, I was like, turn that ship around. (laughs) I mean, I think that's a good question. I mean, it, it helped seeing people that were crazy, crazy successful be miserable. Like I saw some of the successful people in my life, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and they weren't happy. Sorry, I didn't articulate that that well, but it's fascinating to watch that because I would think like, oh, I'd kill to have their career and they're still right. not happy. That's not good. So really just seeing that changes right. everything. I think that's a really valuable point because I feel like we have all these aspirations to be the most successful or the most wealthy or things like that, that we have these goals in mind. But then when we meet people that have achieved what we think those goals are and we're like, oh, hold up. Like, are they happy? And we're like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just, there's always going to be someone more successful than you, always. Yeah. I mean, there, it's a never-ending ladder. You're just going to spiral and spiral and spiral. So I had to I had to get off that ladder and just learn to enjoy my life and learn smaller things. Like, <laughs> um, you know, just taking care of my dogs is a huge part of my everyday life and it gives me so much happiness. And mm you know, I, it feels good to step outside of yourself in that way. Agreed. Agree. It was actually the very first podcast from the season was Kate Nash. And she said the exact same thing that she loves oh, taking wow. care of her dogs. <laughs> I saw yeah. that you also had a, uh, had best coast. I think. Best uh-huh. coast. Oh my yeah. God. They really had cool. a great talk about how we're at the age where jars filled with sticks are very calming. <laughs> <That's amazing>. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's funny is I'm at the age now where like I get excited when my dogs poop because I'm like, oh, it means they won't poop in their crate at night. Yes. And then I'm picking up poop and I'm like, wow, I'm so excited. Yay. <laughs> I never imagined I would get excited for that. <laughs> and that's, it's so funny. Like people's perceptions of what is going to make you happy. I feel similarly where like the smallest things where I'm like, oh, I got my favorite candle. Like that's like, that's to me, like, I'm like, oh, that makes my day if I can, if I can end it with my favorite nighttime candle. And if you had told me like, I don't, you know, when I was a child that that's my aspiration is to have a favorite nighttime candle. Um, I mean, there's those memes, right. That are like our punishments growing up are now our rewards. Like (laughs) you can't go to that party. Like all those things. (laughs) That's what we dream of. (laughs) That's so funny. I think people, when you were talking about like the success of people, even in entertainment, I think that people have a skewed idea of even what like quote 
like even financial success is because I know so many people in LA that are working actors and that are very comfortable in their livings. Um, that was not a word. I mean, it is a word, just not in context. Comfortable in what they make for a living. I know what you mean. There we go. <laughs> um, and that people don't really see that side of entertainment very much. Right. Yeah. Well, people like to hide what's really going on. I mean, social media wouldn't be as fun if everyone was telling the truth. <laughs> I feel like the current pandemic is making people slightly more honest because we're all low-key losing our minds on social media. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, it feels like what do you have to lose? The world's over. I mean, Sorry, that's bleak. true, true. But it's also kind of like, what do you have to lose? Like, we already made it to the other side of the apocalypse. Get to build something weird now. Right. Totally. No, that's funny. When when you said, like, you know, social media wouldn't be as fun. Like, in some ways, it's fun to construct a persona. But in some ways, like, I don't know. I'm really enjoying seeing people's content, even when they're doing things that are completely asinine right now. It's well, kind what of have you, What have you seen recently? Um, people seem to be really into bread baking, which is interesting that suddenly... That's like the new thing is bread baking. Um, the Imagine video, I must say, was like the most hilariously out of touch thing I've ever seen, but was also kind of endearingly out of touch. Where I'm like, wow, you thought that would help. That's kind I of in a misguided way. Watch it. I didn't watch it just because the headlines made me cringe. So I felt like if the headlines are making me cringe, I can't press play on that. It's like a masterpiece of schadenfreude where you're just like, oh, oh. Yeah. I, I don't know. Celebrities don't always have the, the best, best way of helping. New. No. There's a, there's been a lot of my musician friends are live streaming some of their sets from home, which I really like watching that because I'm always like, how do I set up a live set? I don't know. I have like a million piece of gear. How do I play them all at the same time? And now I'm mm -hmm. like, ah, that's how you play them all. Oh, I never thought of it that way. And it's yeah, cool to see people deconstruct. That's cool. That's really cool that people are doing that. What have you been watching on the socials? Uh, oh gosh, I haven't been watching as much on social media, but I've been watching a ton of Netflix. Um, I just finished Tiger King. I watched it all in practically one sitting. Have oh my god. I haven't yet. Tell me about it. <sighs> okay, well, that's <laughs> what you're gonna do next because it's insane. <laughs> It's seven episodes and it's insanity. I literally did not move for seven hours. Oh my God. <laughs> it's crazy. I, it's so good. It's so addicting. It's so juicy. You, you <gasps> I'll have to get my quarantine gang in on it. I have a, I have a gang now. It's a... <laughs> That's great. My, uh, my mom and dad are doing that right now with my aunt and uncle, so... Hey! I get it. I totally get it. Your family's a gang now. It, yeah, I'll have to tell them. Yeah. Do you have Do you have any housemates, or is it you and the puppers? Uh, I have my boyfriend, thankfully. So uh, that's making this a lot more entertaining. Um, <laughs> he was in Vancouver, so we went from doing long distance to being in literal quarantine together. <laughs> So it's the universe telling us, you know, you guys need to spend more time together. Oh my God. <laughs> so you're basically binge watching your boyfriend now. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, thankfully um, we're getting to be together in this time and I have someone to help me with the puppies. I mean, there are puppies, so. 
we can do this. <laughs> I'm very glad you have it like the best quarantine mate. I really do. It's uh, I, I can't complain. I mean, I, I feel so bad for everyone that's sick and I feel bad for the economy. I feel bad for everything, but I got to say I'm in a pretty good situation. So I don't, I don't want to complain about it. I feel similarly where I feel like it's really bizarre seeing how this has kind of brought out like the social stratification of like the people who are okay and the people who are not. Cause even the people who are okay, we're like, well, this is stressful. But then the people who are not okay, it's like, it's literally like game over. And I'm like, Oh, this has really elucidated that our system does not work very well. Yeah, it is fascinating. I've noticed so many people saying like, I'm going so stir crazy. I'm never going to say no to a plan ever again. I'm going to go out so much. And I'm thinking like, well, this is not that different from my regular lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) I feel similarly where I'm like, I think the most extravagant thing I've gotten lately is um, I did just order blue light blocking glasses because I mean, I work all the time on my laptop recording for music stuff, but usually my therapy sessions are um, in an office. I do like half virtual and half in office, but now it's all virtual. So after a while, my eyeballs are like, excuse me, ma'am. Now, did I, <laughs> well, speaking of this, cause I was, I did a little research before we jumped on and saw that you're a therapist and, you know, cut this out if you don't want it in the podcast but I figure I can ask you because you're in control of the edit right heck yeah ask away uh, I, I just wanted to ask you are you are Polly I am okay because I saw that on maybe some bio you had or something yeah and probably, probably I'm so fascinated by that because I, I'm not polyamorous but uh I the movie I just made is about an open relationship heck yeah so I figured uh I figured we should just talk about that because I'm fascinated by it I would love to talk about that. Are you are you allowed to talk about more about the movie? Because I don't want to spoiler the movie. Yeah, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I can talk vaguely, sure. I mean, it's still like in the editing process. So there's, who knows what's going to end up being in it anyways. That's awesome. Wait, so what was your role in the movie? I wrote and directed and produced, but I didn't act in it. I was like, oh, only three roles. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very uh it's a very small movie uh and I just had such a blast getting to make it I've always been fascinated by open relationships and really admired it uh I feel like I'm kind of jealous and emotional and not necessarily able to do the polyamory thing but I totally get it if that makes sense like I I understand that the the desire it makes it makes total sense to me it's so interesting that you say that because I think that some of my clients, when they come to me, they feel guilty that they feel jealous in like poly situations or open situations. And I think that, um, at least clinically, I think it's like a myth that poly people don't get jealous. It's just like, I at least see jealousy as like an indicator light. Like it's like a check engine light where it's like, oh, are you feeling jealous? Well, let's investigate. Like, are your needs getting met? Like, are you feeling heard? Do you feel like there's something that was not expressed between you and your partner? And a lot of times it's like, that's actually what the problem is, is that you feel like for whatever reason, the arrangement is not actually meeting your needs and it's triggering your insecurity. And so a lot of times, if you can kind of like get on board with how to communicate about your needs and see if your partner can then meet them, like give them the opportunity to do it. A lot of times that helps like ameliorate jealousy. Um, But it takes a lot of kind of like, yeah, it's a lot of like checking in with yourself and then expressing that to your partner and vice versa. Um, 
That's so interesting because I, I do think there's this thing of like, well, I signed up for it. I agreed to this. So I guess I don't have the right to get jealous. And that's yeah. just not how human beings work. Right. Like, I'll never forget. Like, I, I would say that like, I'm by nature, not a very jealous person. Like I would say I'm pretty independent by nature, but I got really jealous when an ex of mine called another person by the pet name that he had for me. And I was like huffy about it. I was like, <gasps> that is me (laughs) of course I totally get that well it feels like a betrayal of whatever you did have it feels like did that just not exist exist to you yeah and I realized that was what the need was is that I needed to feel special and I was like oh I thought that experience was special and I needed that to be like mirrored back to me and it wasn't and that's what the problem was I was like oh I totally get that my first boyfriend uh was a photographer and he took so many pictures of me and our life and put it all over Instagram you know and then of course because he's a photographer his next girlfriend had all the same photos and oh my god I know you're a photographer and I know you're allowed to continue to have a life still but it still hurt because it was like felt like exactly what we did yeah and you're like well did you just slot another person into my role like that's weird exactly yeah and it's it's funny because everyone's allowed to do what they want to do and it makes sense it's just weird how those things can can hurt exactly is that I'm curious because it sounds like intellectually you're super on board with open relationships but you said that that's not your orientation and I find it so interesting that you chose to write a film about it yeah I'm just fascinated when the head and the heart are at odds Mm -hmm. like I don't think my heart could do it but my head totally gets it Mm-hmm. Um, that's really fascinating to me. And, um, because I understand both sides of it, I felt like it would be fun to write two characters, one that wanted to be open and one that didn't, because I understood mm-hmm. both perspectives. Right. So that was right. why really that I wanted to write something, but actually it was more like I was watching when Harry met Sally on a plane and I love that movie so much. And like, <laughs> oh, this so fun. Like, what if you added that they were in an open relationship on top of it? Like, what if they were all like, you know, and I felt like, where's that? Where's that movie? I hadn't seen that kind of movie before. I'm sure, I'm sure it exists somewhere, but I wanted to make my own version of it. Much like how there aren't that many movies that feature like the dynamics of even like platonic friendship. I was thinking about there's not a lot of representation of open relationships other than literally pretty white people having sex with each other in a very dramatic manner. Seems to right. be the only genre of like poly or open relationships that we see in the media or stock images of multiple pairs of feet under blankets. That's also a really popular poly image. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I hope I did a good job with it. I did so much research. Um, I really didn't want to let anyone in the poly or queer community down at all. Uh, so I, I hope I did a good job, but maybe I could send it to you once I've got a rough cut and get your, uh, oh my God, I'd love to, I'd love to. And I love that you're reaching out in that way to people who are in those communities because yeah, I mean, there's so little representation that I'm very excited that you even chose to write about it. And I'm very flattered that you also looked at my, at my psych website before yeah. I interviewed you. I was like, that's so cool. I'm a, I'm a prepper. I'm a researcher. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty type A in that sense. Uh, I, you know, I found it so interesting to do that, that research, um, because it just made the script and the story so much better. I don't think the script or the story would exist without having done the research because so many of the ideas that I got for scenes came from like reading a bunch of blog posts or people's experiences and just saying like, 
uh, that could make a great scene or what if that happened to my characters, you know? And that's a cool way to get to know kind of your characters in themselves, like by seeing other people's experiences. Cause I would imagine as you're writing characters, like, I don't know, is it much like when I've been talking to other people about writing novels where all of a sudden it's like characters start coming into view and they almost surprise you? Yeah, I'm always surprised by what the story has to tell me. You know, you think you know the story going in when you're writing something and then like a new theme emerges and like it's talking to you. It's like telling you the story somehow. Yes. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had songs presage things that happen to me. Like I'll be writing a song and I'm like, oh, okay. And then like a few years later, I'll be like, that's what I was writing about. And like my own songs will make sense to me years later. And I'm like, what? What? You know what's so crazy is I had written something like all in a couple days. It just came out of me and it was a robot movie. And I had never written a robot movie. I don't even really watch like robot sci-fi. <laughs> and then I I realized it was because my dog had just passed away. And the robot oh, that I was writing was like a manifestation of my dog. Oh. And it was so beautiful. It was such a cathartic experience that I didn't even realize I was doing until it was done. Oh. No, Sorry, I didn't mean to be a bummer, but it just really related to what, um, no, it's an okay bummer. I'm like, but, oh, it made me feel like how sometimes we make art and we don't know why we make art, but then later we're like, oh, that's why. Did you just all of a sudden uh, become in the dark? I did because I'm sitting in my room without a light on thinking daylight was good enough, but apparently a cloud passed by in a really dramatic it was super dramatic I was like my dog died and then the cloud came (laughs) over you it was insane but now it's bright again oh my god I also realized because I'm like I'm I've forgotten how to wear clothes like a person I'm literally wearing like a vintage slip I had a cardigan on earlier and tights I'm just like this is a this is clothes adjacent oh yeah I changed from pajamas to sweats for this sweet sweet I just watched people walk past uh, in my neighborhood that were wearing masks, and that's just a nice uh, reminder of what's going on. Yep. Yep. (sighs) I'm glad that they have masks. I hope that a lot of my friends have been sewing masks. I've been seeing that actually on on social media as well, that like, I wish I I had a sewing machine. I can only, I know how to hand sew, but I don't know how to sewing machine sew. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I I don't know how to do neither. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is interesting, and, and we can get back on topic, but it, it is interesting seeing all the philanthropy that's happening. I think that's the only real good thing about any tragedy is you see all these people online that are giving back in a really cool way. Yes. So that's nice yeah. to have that kind of positive news because I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting. <laughs> I just, uh, one of my quarantine mates, uh, it's one of the journalists. She's a, <laughs> one, of my, one of my gang members. Mm-hmm. he's five one I'm five feet tall we're like rampantly intimidating um <laughs> but, uh, she's a she's a political writer from the UK who now is trapped in California um oh, and wow. yeah she thankfully she had just gotten her work visa here because she also is a tv writer and like everything just cleared and then she was like oh thank god I can go back and forth and see my family and then it was like yeah Oh, that's so hard. We've kind of adopted her now. Um, so we're doing our best to be like, your family now. Um, but she read that in the UK. Give her a hug, but don't give her a hug. Exactly. We've been like uh, bumping elbows. Um, yeah. and like, 
Uh, she said that apparently the NHS had called for volunteers um, to help with like getting people to medical care and helping deliver supplies, things like that that were like medical adjacent. And I guess like half a million people have signed up to volunteer. Wow, that's incredible. It's like, damn, that's inspiring. A lot of people are fostering dogs right now too, which is yeah. Because why not? We're at the house anyway. I was thinking of doing that. I've always felt bad having a pet because I, I have a condo. And so like I could take a dog out on walks, but I always feel bad being like, oh, you don't have anywhere that you can just be in a yard and do whatever dog things dogs do. Yeah. And so I'm like, that. that's the thing is like when I like my parents still live in the valley and they have a dog, but like I always had dogs as a kid, but they had the yard. And so I've grown up with like dogs always having their own, you know, whatever shenanigans they do in the yard, they can go do. And I felt bad that I was like, well, if I bring you into my condo, you can't, there's nowhere to do dog shenanigans. I get that. Well, I have two French bulldogs, so they don't need a ton of exercise. (laughs) 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 They just eat and snuggle, eat, snuggle. So if you do, if you do want to get a dog, but you don't have a yard, that's probably a pretty good breed for you. Basically, I could get a really, really friendly meatball. Yep. They're, they're just potatoes. They're potatoes (laughs) with eyes and a butthole. Um, they are just ridiculously cute they're the loves of my life <gasps> oh I was just like I love Frenchies <laughs> they're so sweet yeah check out my Instagram you'll see plenty of uh Frenchie yes. content I was gonna say topical to the movies I was just like insta stalking I was just like we were talking about open relationships and research and I oh I know what I was gonna ask you about that I was curious um like you said, like the characters were coming into view and I was curious which blogs and books you were reading about that. Yeah, well, there's a, I think it's called Mating in Captivity, right? Mm-hmm. That's called, mm-hmm. uh, also, New York Times did a whole series of video interviews. Oh. Um, which was really cool. Just people talking about their experiences and bringing in their partners to also be interviewed. Um, and then um, just a lot of like Reddit threads and Right. However far Googling polyamory and open relationships, (laughs) whatever the first, you know, 12 pages are, probably what I read. And then also just asking people that I knew or would would meet in passing and talking about it. Like we were scouting sex shops because one of our locations was a sex shop, just a little montage piece. And the guy that was uh, running the sex shop was Polly and was super down to talk about it. Were you like the stock room or something? Um, no, it was just the front desk guy. Oh, cause I was going to say in LA, there's like the pleasure chest and stock room. There are places that run like a lot of good workshops about. Oh, I thought you said, um, stock, I didn't know. Is stock room a place? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Stock room. <laughs> that must've sounded like a really weird question that I was like, did you go into like where the inventory is? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, it was in public. It was weird. <laughs> I didn't mean like, did you infiltrate the sex toy shop? No. Um, <laughs> we just went to like whatever the least corporate sex shop was that we could find in the valley. I forget, I forget what the name was, but it's so yeah, so it really hard to to you know be allowed to film in there. Yes. Yes. Um, oh my god, that's so funny. No, I think that I'm glad that more people are talking about it because even like low key when people ask me, "Are you poly?" I say yes, but like for instance, right now, like. I'm really in a primary relationship with myself, like, you know, and I tend to, even like my style tends to be, I tend to have, if I am dating people, 
like one partner that I'm really into and then I might, might connect with other people, but I tend to even mostly connect with people emotionally as opposed to sexually. Right. Like, so do you feel like you're more on the monogamous side of polyamory than you are on the poly side of polyamory? I would say that I'm more on the picky and probably has too many interests that involve being alone to realistically invest that much time in more than two partners. Right. You're poly in spirit. <laughs> I'm poly in spirit. And I'm poly in the way where I'm like, I love the possibility that I can meet people to connect with them because when I meet someone and connect with them, whether it's like romantic, platonic, sexual, I'm so jazzed on it. It's just rare that I click with people. And so I like the possibility to be there that if I do meet one of those people, I'm like, ah, yes, you are one of my human. I'm Good. that way as well. I, I get that. Uh, yeah. I am particular, so I, I totally understand that. I I don't know. I guess for me, it just feels like it's a lot of energy. It feels like a lot of work. Yeah, that's why that's why I don't tend to have more than two partners at a time because if I'm going to have a partner, excuse yes. me, all good. If I'm going to have a partner, I tend to be like, I'm a very attentive friend. I'm a very attentive girlfriend. Like right. I'm like, I'm very in it to win it. And so like I can casually engage with people, but often either I lose interest or they're, they like say that it's kind of not enough for them because I also, it's like, I'm very passionate about what I do otherwise. Like I have a full client roster. I produce my own music and other people's music. Like I do a lot of things that I need to be on my own for. And right. so I wouldn't, I think it would be irresponsible to like be in more relationships than I could actually uh, like meet that person's needs. That seems almost cruel to be like, oh, I love you, but like only every alternate Thursday. And you especially know that of all people because you are a therapist. Yeah, I see a lot of people who uh, experience that or are troubleshooting that or are like, well, how do I manage this? And like, I always say it's like, love is infinite, but like time sadly, well, is infinite but in practical matters is not like time and energy. You only have like so much during the day that you can give to yourself and to other people. And so you have to allocate where it goes. And that really sucks if someone's feeling left out. Definitely. And so it's good that that you know that. And it just shows there's so many ways to be monogamous and there's so many ways to be polyamorous or uh, anything in between. Like there's not uh, set in stone rules for how to do something. Yeah. And even I see a lot of people in my practice who like, I guess it's been called kind of on the internet, like conscious monogamy, where it's people that choose monogamy, but not because it's default mode, but because they've thought about a lot of the stuff you've mentioned about like even the cognitive portions of like being open or being non-monogamous. And they've chosen to maintain monogamy because they thought about the alternatives, not because it's just the standard narrative. And I'm like, oh, I like that. Like, let's talk more about that. Like, let's talk about why we would choose monogamy. Yeah, I really like that. Maybe one day polyamory will be so common that people are like, have you heard of conscious polyamory? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hope because like low key, so many people are actually not monogamous. Like, so true. I mean, I've really learned that with just doing the research on this project. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of wild. Cause I was wondering, I was thinking about when you had asked me that about like my specialty, I was like, cause it sounds like you're guided to projects that you enjoy. And I was wondering like, when you're going to embark on a project, what indicates to you like, Oh, this is something I'm going to be really into. If I feel like there's an emotional element to it that I haven't seen before. Ooh even if it's really small, 
like in banana split, it was, you know, what happens if you, you hate your boyfriend's new girlfriend because of who she is and what she is to you. And then you meet her and you really, really like her and love her and think she's so cool. And you're like, your expectations are flipped. Mm -hmm. And what does that do to, you know, your jealousy or like these things that were trained in your head or um, I'm not articulating this very well. My allergies are crazy. Um, it's it's such a small feeling, but you can expand a whole movie on that. Uh, so for me, that's what gets me excited. And, and same with this open relationship movie, I felt like, Oh, I haven't seen a, like a young, fresh comedy that tackles this subject, which is surprising to me because there are so many people that are polyamorous. Exactly. I think that in some ways, like, it's not stigmatized in the same way like anyone else in the queer community is because it's very rare that people will actually come after you and penalize you for being poly. They might think you're a little odd. That's really about it. Um, well, one that penalizes you for being poly is probably cheating anyways, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I think that that's another funny misconception is people are like, oh, if you're poly, you can't cheat. And I'm like, no, every relationship has its rules and structures. You can still be a cheating butt face and be poly. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> It's clinical. That's a lot of what, what happens in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a question for you and feel free to not answer, of course. Um, but did you, do you have like set rules when you are dating multiple people? Um, really depends on who I'm dating, what those rules are. Um, right. I would say that my only strict rules for myself are to practice safe sex Yes. Because who wants to spread diseases? She says during a pandemic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really asking honestly to see how accurate I was in. That's so in funny. Yeah, <laughs> I like, want to know, but I also want to fact check myself. That's so funny. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, definitely like safe sex and regular testing is important to me. And I think even people in monogamous relationships, like those things are important to normalize, like taking care of your body's rad. Um, yeah. So I'm really into that. Um, I personally have insomnia um, and delayed sleep phase disorder, and it sucks. I basically am just a finicky sleeper, and so honestly, I don't even like sometimes to sleep in the same bed as like a primary partner. Like I have trouble with nesting partners because I have such difficulty sleeping that like, for instance, a boundary of mine would be I don't want to sleep in the same bed as multiple partners because I literally wouldn't sleep. That's so interesting. And does that uh, cause a problem with the intimacy with some people? Yeah, there was a partner of mine that um, he likes multiple people to sleep in his bed and he has a really big bed and that for him was really important. And as much as I loved the sentiment of it, like I was like, I'm really sorry, but I won't be able to actually fall asleep. And he's like, oh, is it because you're uncomfortable with my other partners? I was like, not at all. I was like, that's actually not the problem. I was like, I even have difficulty falling asleep next to people that I'm intimate with. I was like, I just have trouble falling asleep. I was like, well, that's incredibly specific. So I did not tackle that in the movie. <laughs> right. Wow. I mean, I have trouble sleeping, but that sounds like a very specific, different, different thing. But it's, again, that's so good that you figured that out about yourself. So you, you know, to, you know, let people know who you're involved with. Yeah. Like the sleep thing. I'm trying to think of anything else that's universal. I guess just like, I have a policy of like, I would rather someone be honest with me even if it's not what I want to hear, then yeah. not because, and that's in my friendships too. Like that's not really even a poly thing, I guess, but just like kind of a broad policy across my relationships of just like, yeah. some look like good rules. It's interesting. I mean, a lot of the, the 
poly rules or I don't even know if you want to call them rules or boundaries, but a lot of them are probably just things we should already do as human beings. Yeah, it's like have respect for each other, check in about your needs. Have like, sex. <laughs> have safe sex because like I'm pretty flexible. Like I would say there's only one person that messed up those rules. Like out of everyone I've dated, there's only one person that somehow managed to mess up, be honest, and have safe sex. Ugh. Well, that's how the rules are born. Someone exactly. Messed <laughs> Someone messed it up and I was like, wow, those are like the most basic rules and you still messed it. I'm impressed. Yeah, that's that's impressive. That's pretty pretty terrible. <laughs> it's like I was like slow clap to you. What did you discover when you were researching as like common boundaries? Well, I first I thought of the the boundaries that I would want myself. Uh-huh. Um, and the first one was safe sex. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm terrified of STDs. Uh I just, you know, I would rather not. Um so that's really the the first and main rule. And then, like you said, honesty, that's that's part of it. Um, I'm trying to think of what the other rules, oh, the other rules, at least in the movie, were like, let's not sleep with friends or people we're mm-hmm. supposed to be friends with or like, or go back to exes or, right, right. Um, and in the movie, they want to keep their relationship, the primary relationship. So they don't right. want to go sleep with someone else more than four or five times because then that starts to become too important of a relationship. Got it. So they're not necessarily poly in the traditional sense um, because I was really just going after what my own feelings were and then using details from research to like, just make it feel specific and honest. And that sounds like kind of like, cause that's a form of poly. It's like hierarchical poly mm, where yeah. You have like a nesting partner, a primary partner, and then other relationships that are intimate, but in some ways like that initial pairing has like couples privilege. And so you have to be cognizant of that to not accidentally like treat people as like expendable. Um, right, exactly. That's, that's, yeah. that's tricky. It's really um, hard. Maybe it doesn't go into that side of it too much. It's more about how it impacts their primary relationship and, um, and I, I was really trying to not like preach that monogamy is the way or polyamory is the way, just like showing the lifestyle of this one particular couple. Right. And there's, it's interesting that you said, and I think it's accurate that like, there's no one way to do monogamy. There's no one way to do poly and open. That's actually why I like being a therapist for this is like helping people define what they want out of it, what they want it to look like, what boundaries they have. Um because yeah. yeah, like it just depends on, well, what do you want out of the relationship? What are your needs in the relationship? Yeah, everyone is so different. And I think probably some people's boundaries will surprise you. Yeah. Like I had no idea that someone saying my nickname to someone else would like, that's the one time. It's so funny. I cite it because it's the one time that I felt like what people have narrated to me is jealousy. I felt this like indignation that I had been like yeah. wronged. Yeah, I mean, it just erases what you ha- had. I don't think you, you definitely shouldn't feel bad about that. I would be pissed about that too. That's annoying. Yeah. And it was so funny because I was just like, people are like, well, aren't you jealous of like people you're dating or sleeping with other people? I'm like, no, I'm just stoked that people I love are having a good time. <laughs> but that nickname. <laughs> but that nickname business, that is no. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. It was also fun getting to write like all the friend characters too. Uh, because they they can bring in their own perspective to what's yes. going on. Yes. Do you, do you? I mean, this is a silly question. I I regret 
Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, do you keep it a secret? But obviously you don't because I found it on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Well, I would say that like for a while I was more obtuse about it because I didn't want to skew people to like, I don't want to be known as a therapist who specializes in poly simply because I think I'm an expert. Because frankly, I think everyone's an expert on their own relationships. It's just discovering what they actually are. Like I'm just helping to troubleshoot. Um, and also like, I guess if I were to describe myself, I don't think I would even list poly in the first like 10 adjectives. It just happens to be like one of the ones that's thrown in there, but I wouldn't yeah. say it's like a linchpin of my identity. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And so like, I think that in some ways it can be, it can be used erroneously as a personality trait. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. And it feels like that happens all the time with, the. Uh, um, the queer community. Yeah, where like there was, I think it was either Onion or Hard Times article that it was like polyamorous man brings ukulele to party, and I was like, oh god, it's too real. That's so, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Maybe it was that. Uh, I feel like I saw that one. Maybe it was uh, Reductress. Have you heard it might have been. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, oh god. <laughs> like, there's a meme I saw that it was like man uses five women he dates to substitute for personality traits and I was like oh oh I think I saw that one too we must be following the same kind of tweets or something yep so funny yep you feel I'll ask you I just want to ask you one more question on this um do you feel like your parents and their relationship informed you and your relationships you know, my parents are, um, they won't like me admitting this publicly, but they've been married for over 50 years. They had me later. Like they had me. Yeah. And they've been married over 50 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So my parents got married slightly later and then they also had me rather later. Um, and they have a great relationship, but they also are very independent, which I think influenced me just personality wise that yeah. they both have pretty strong interests and they both, I mean, we always would spend dinner time together as a family and we did activities as a family, but both of them have independent activities that they do. Mm. And so my model of a relationship was like, you do some things together and you have each other's back, but you also have your separate interests and your separate friends. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And so like, I never super thought about it, but it definitely influenced why, like, I'd usually be really drawn to having, like, a boyfriend, but then say, like, almost like a homo-romantic female relationship, things like that, where it's like, I'd always be drawn to having really strong relationships, even outside of my primary romantic one, and not feeling a conflict with it. Mm. Yeah, that's so cool. That's such a um, positive answer to that question. I feel like most people, if you ask them that, their answer would be like, Oh God, my parents, you know, (laughs) your answer was just like lovely. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, also like low key, I bet at some point, like my parents will probably get into a drag out match about a Tupperware, but like, you know, it's like, (laughs) though. there's a bit, um, about that, that Seth Meyers does on his standup special on Netflix. Have you watched it? I have not. Oh, you should check that out. So you got to watch that and you have to watch Tiger King. Now I've got what's going to be all queued up after my sessions tonight with my quarantine gang. Yeah, exactly. You're going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being dead serious. I think you're going to have a great night with those things. I'm totally going to have a great night because yeah, like between all of us, it's funny because I'm sure that you're experiencing 
a similar thing where like we're very fortunate that in some ways we're not as impacted work-wise by what's happening and so all of us are still like you know technically working um so we do have then like quote time off but it's all it's like time has become meaningless where we're like what is time working and what is time off we're not sure anymore oh yeah I had no idea what day it was it's they're (laughs) all blending together yeah it's all become this like it's like from buffalo 66 that like spanning time (laughs) oh I forgot about that part spanning time together oh yeah I gotta rewatch that movie it's such a gorgeous movie I love that movie I was thinking about when you were talking about what drew you to roles of like that little kernel of emotion and I was wondering what's different when you're acting in other people's projects as opposed to your own like how do you spot that kernel interesting well for a long time I would just take whatever acting job I would get um because you need to work and make money and especially you know when you're a teenager you don't need to be as picky about things right um so that kernel didn't really have to exist in order for me to want to do a job because I want I want money and work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now I really just want to get excited about the people I'm collaborating with. Like if I trust the director, the producers, or the other actors, then it doesn't really matter what we're making because I am excited about them and getting to know them. Right. That's cool. And that, I mean, that also sounds like it comes from a place of security and what you're doing and security financially. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope, like, knock on wood, there's one. Uh, <laughs> knock on wood, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that right now I've, you know, saved up my money from the last however many years of acting, so I'm in a good spot, and mm-hmm. I don't spend too much money, so I really can take a, a step back and figure out what I want to do versus, you know, having to do a job for money. It's um, right. not not a good feeling. I was going to say, and I've talked to a lot of other artists about this, about how in some ways we perceive it as like a failure or like we're not an artist if we do have to take on other jobs. Whereas like I'm a big advocate for the fact that it's like sometimes you aren't going to be in that financial position, but that doesn't make you not an artist. Well, I get really jealous of these actresses that have these perfect careers where like every movie or TV show on their resume is something really cool that people really liked and you know, a, a credit that was really relevant and, uh, and there's nothing embarrassing on there, you know, and <laughs> I get so jealous of that. But then I remember that all of the jobs I did that were, you know, less than classy or interesting or, you know, top notch, uh, they all taught me something and mm-hmm. drove me to becoming a filmmaker. And I met people on those jobs that were so important. And I also, I did need to make money. So, right. I need to learn how to stop beating myself up for, you know, doing those lifetime Christmas movies or whatever it was. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's funny because when you said like the people that have these perfect resumes, I'm like, well, what are they hiding? No one has a perfect resume. Like, there's gotta be something. They're such a rare person. They're like, what, 0.0001% of people anyway. So yeah, yeah. Not really reality. And there's that like aspirational success that you were talking about before that you see people that you had perceived as successful, but are also like low key miserable. Yeah, exactly. And so then it's like, what's the point? Right. It's like, do stuff that you actually like. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I I, I think I've gotten something good from every single project I've done, even if it's um, a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
I definitely, I feel similarly that like the projects I've taken on for scoring work, I have definitely, like, I never thought like scoring the trailer for a LARP game was going to teach me something, but boy did it because they had very specific music references where they're like, can you please mash up medieval dance music and David Bowie kind of like they did in 10 Things I Hate About You? And I was like, that is deeply specific. That's awesome, though. That sounds great. It was rad. And I was just like, oh, my God, I get to use all of my music theory knowledge. And, like, I love David Bowie, and I have no idea how this is going to – it was actually, like, such a fun project. What's your favorite Bowie song? Oh, God. I'm like, how do I pick a favorite Bowie song? It's hard. I mean, I feel very emotionally attached to Blackstar simply because of the story of it. Like Blackstar and Lazarus, just because like, even though like previously I had other favorite Bowie songs, I think like writing something that poignant, knowing that you're dying, like that to me, like being able to write your own swan song, essentially, just like that right now is like what I connect with most. Yeah, you're going to make me cry. I love um Lady Grinning Soul. Ooh. That one is really good. That one's really good. So epic. Oh, like, so tonight, Bowie. Bowie, Tiger Myers. Myers. Seth Myers. Seth Myers. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, incidentally, this all reminds me that I'm like, my, my hairstylist is obsessed with Bowie, and I can't see her right now, and we're all going to come out of this with really weird bangs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't have a haircut right now at all. <laughs> My bangs it's are to be a bob, but I don't know what it's doing. Is it? Does it get to be called a lob now? Is that what it gets called next? A lob? What? Wouldn't it be a, a like a shoulder bob, like a shab? A shab. Shab. Good. I'm into a shab. I'm gonna have to cut my bangs, and there, there's warnings against this sort of thing. Oh, I used to cut my own bangs all the time. I think it's so fun. You're a bold woman. Because they're if they're like kind of messy and choppy. That is true. You're lucky, though. It looks like you have naturally straight hair. I don't. No, it's super curly, and wow. I have a widow's peak and cowlicks and all sorts of stuff. I have even more respect for the bang trimming now. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, was like, yeah, I, have this, I have this crazy blow dryer that um, that makes your hair straight like instantly. Please share the Revlon Revlon One Step. You can get oh my it God. on Amazon. I'm curious. How straight it is. My hair's curly. Hair is super straight. Isn't that crazy? Because I have my parents. It's funny that you asked about my parents have been married for like forever. My dad has a Jufro mm -hmm. and my mom has stick straight hair. And I ended up like right in the middle where I have like wavy hair. The shorter it gets, the curlier it gets, but I don't have like tight curls like my dad. It's more like big kind That's of. So funny. We have more and more in common. My dad would have a Jufro if he wasn't bald. Oh my god! And my mom has stick straight hair. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, my dad now has. We call it the ring of Jufro. It's like, yep, yeah, yeah. We always have to remind him like to wear a hat or sunblock because he has like the Jufro ring. Yeah. <laughs> he one time, what? He said it's a strong look. It really is. He one time sunburnt. He always wears his high necklace, and he sunburnt the high into his chest. Like he fell asleep in the sun, and so he had the reverse image of it on him. That's so funny. That's crazy. I feel like like the roles are reversed that now I've like grounded my parents. Well, you know, circle of life.
granted they never grounded me i was not in news it'll shock no one i was not a crazy teenager in that way me either <laughs> me either and that's why we're here talking on a podcast exactly i was like this is why we're on a podcast talking about the movies that you wrote because they're great we're good girls <laughs> exactly was it fun by the way to write slightly like not good girls like better girls is that oh, yeah I mean I definitely uh exaggerate my own personality like if I was a partier if I was this or that you know because that's more fun to watch gotta, right. raise those, gotta raise those stakes right I mean like I know look I never went to prom because I was homeschooled but like I've been pregnant at prom three times on tv you know <laughs> I kind of get to about live out all those uh dramatic things that didn't actually happen in my life oh I hadn't thought about that that I was just like well since you were working from that age like most of your schooling was probably on set and then homeschooling because otherwise how would you work that out yeah exactly I didn't I didn't go to real school except for 10th grade and I hated it what was that like horrible because I was so, I was an only child. I was so used to being alone. So uh -huh. used to on my computer and you go from that to like having to figure out a locker and you're, you know, so hormonal and it's just such an uncomfortable time. And then there's all these kids around you who you don't know and you're the new kid and you've never been in school really. So oh God. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just awful. I just hated it. I, I quit pretty quickly. That sounds so disorienting. It was really disorienting. I really, really did not like it. <laughs> oh, was it at least a smaller school or did you go to like LASC school or like? It was a private school uh, in Van Nuys called Montclair Prep. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people had an amazing experience there. I just was not one of them. Oh, I can't even imagine. Cause like, I like the fact that you depicted kind of that transition of high school to college when people are moving away and in a way like despite going to the same school from like 7th through 12th grade I didn't necessarily have like a click in the same way that like in the movie how everyone's kind of you know having their last hurrah as their high school group yeah and I don't know if it was just because my school I mean we had about like 250 kids in our class and there certainly were friend groups but like at least the friends that I had we didn't have experiences like that and there was there were no parties where it was like oh this group and that group are having their last party oh interesting yeah well I'm a fraud <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny because I think that I was like that's funny that you went to Montclair I like I went to Harvard Westlake oh wow and I feel like we were too stressed out uh to necessarily um be clickish we just didn't have time <laughs> I, I mean I was definitely not a part of any click I didn't I really didn't know anyone. So yeah, that part of the movie is for sure fabricated. Well, and it's funny because I talked to other people and that was their high school experience. Yeah. I mean, it definitely exists. That's why it's been in so many things. Yeah. I think uh, that's why it's it a Yeah. It just wasn't part of either of our lives. That's so funny that I just discovered that because I was like, oh, I wonder if that was informed by her experience because watching that, I was like, oh, that wasn't my experience. Like there certainly are people that I've run into since being in high school that like I wasn't close with in high school, but I found that as adults, like we get on really well. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's cool. I think the craziest I got in high school was walking down to the Baja Fresh on Ventura <laughs> down the street from school. I was just oh, like, I walked yeah. on Ventura like every day. I, that was my my jam. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're like, I'm <laughs> gonna get an ice blended mocha. 
Ooh, yeah. yeah, I like their style. <laughs> yeah, I remember we would all, you know, my friends and I, which there weren't that many of them, because again, I was homeschooled, but we would hang out at the parking lot right next to the Urban Outfitters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's <laughs> the Pagliacci's and Starbucks right there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was just like... That was the jam. Yep. I knew that parking lot. Yep. I'm just like, I guess that's like a, a Valley Kid thing that I was just like, people think it's very interesting growing up in LA and you're like, no, we still hung out in parking lots. Yeah. Everyone does the same thing everywhere, pretty much. All, <laughs> all really universal. Everyone sits in cars and talks. Exactly. Exactly. I guess like in closing, I was wondering what you would recommend, because we did have a weird experience growing up in LA, despite the hanging out in parking lots. What would you recommend to someone who does want to start writing their own films? Because you clearly have an awesome sense of initiative and are rocking out on that. And I was like, what if someone was like, how do I do that? Well, thank you. Um, well, watch a lot of movies, read a lot of scripts. Um, and the thing that's helped me the most is if I'm really stumped, but I know I need to be writing, I will force myself to write one scene a day. Ooh. So even if the scene is like, Mary sits down on the bench, period. And then I'm like, at least I did it. You did you know? the thing. And you do that every day. And eventually you'll write something good that you're excited by. And then you won't have to set that rule for yourself anymore. And I think also when you do something consistently, when you really get into the habit of it, it starts to become just an unconscious habit where you just sit down and write anyway. Yeah. And if there's something you're excited enough about, it's not going to feel like work. You're just going to, it's just going to pour out of you. Right. You're just going to do it. But I think, you know, that doesn't happen to everyone and ideas don't grow on trees. So you really sometimes do have to force it. And I think that's okay because you're, you're pursuing something and how lucky are we to get to pursue something that we want to pursue. Exactly. Like getting to kind of, I guess what you're saying, it's making me think of at least like showing up so that when the inspiration strikes, you're, you're there. You're ready. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. What is, it's like, you know, I, I forget what the quote is, something like, 90% of the work is done by showing up or something. I didn't forget that quote, but right. you know what I'm Right, yeah. <laughs> I was reading about that in uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, where she talks about, like, that she really did write for a very long time uh, without, like, I guess what most people would define as success. Like, she did get publishing deals after a while, but then, like, it was, I think Eat, Pray, Love was, like, her fourth or fifth book that she published. Oh, that's so cool. I love hearing that. Yeah, I love hearing that not everyone is just like this instant success. Yeah, or even I think about like your writing success, but you've been working since you were five, or I think about how people talk about Billie Eilish, and she's the same way where she's been she's been singing and dancing and doing everything since she was also a very young child. And so, She's a literal child still. She is. <laughs> she's like 18, Yeah, but she's so talented. I mean, nothing against Billie Eilish. I think she's remarkably talented. She's insanely talented. And like when I see videos, because it was one of them, um, when I'm not therapizing or musicking, I also tutor um, very infrequently now, but I do love tutoring because I love learning um, and I love teaching other people stuff. So that's fun. Um, but it was one of my teenagers that I tutor that showed me Billy for like the first time. And I was just like blown away by her. And it was when she was, I think it was the Ocean Eyes video when she was 14. Yeah, she's like 14 or something crazy. And I was just, yeah. And so I actually like, you know, I kind of went down like a, a U, like YouTube rabbit hole and discovered like, you know, that she's been making her own music since she was a kid. And 
has been doing a lot of dance stuff also since she was like a little kid and granted like she still is a kid but thinking about it I'm like oh if you start on something when you're five or six and are that dedicated by the time you're 14 15 you've banked at least a solid five to eight years of work yeah it's like that whole who is it uh Malcolm Gladwell maybe yeah ten thousand hours yeah yeah definitely I mean she's so good I went to her concert at the shrine oh my god She's amazing. I mean, she's got that star power charisma thing. Plus mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. I'm so impressed by her. And so I'm just like, I'm like, who are my inspirations right now? Billie Eilish and Bjork. <laughs> like, yeah, those are good ones. Those are really good ones. <laughs> like they're amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me for this very wacky allergy induced episode of Why Not Both. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel like we did it. We had a lot of detours, but it was really, it was really nice and natural. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who has been absolutely amazing. Thank you again, and I look forward to next week's episode.